This is The Counter Rock, a rugby podcast brought to you by the Irish Times, sponsored by Nifty Business. You can find out more at niftybusiness.ie. My name is Nathan Johns, and I'm delighted to say that on this Thursday edition of The Counter Rock, we have a very special guest. How many times when you're watching a match on TV, does a scrum collapse, a penalty goes one way, you don't know what's going on, and you'll hear a commentator saying, sure, don't we? we no one knows what's going on in the scrums. We'll leave them at it. That always infuriates me, and I want to know more about the scrum. Given that it's a down week in the Six Nations, no matches this weekend, we thought it was the perfect opportunity to take a step back and actually figure out what is going on in these scrums. With that in mind, we have Mike Ross, former Munster, Harlequins, Leinster and Ireland tighthead. Mike has 61 caps for his country. He's won two Six Nations titles, two Heineken Cups, one Challenge Cup and two Pro 12s with Leinster. So welcome to Mike Ross. Mike, how are you? Where, where are you in the world and, and what are you doing these days now that you're no longer uh, anchoring the right-hand side of, of that Irish scrum? I'm working in tech, actually. So I'm, I still live in Dublin. You know, I never left after I finished playing for Leinster. I, I live in Churchtown and I'm a sales director for a large software company called Amdocs. It's not exactly where I thought I'd see myself, but um, yeah, quite happy where I am right now. You weren't tempted to go back home to Cork, no? Return to the Munster roots? Look, I bought a house here in 2013, so we're well settled. You know, my kids are in school, so it'd be hard, hard ass to uproot and move them, even though things are a bit cheaper down in the real capital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those years playing at the RDS, you still call Cork the real capital. <laughs> Listen, Mike, obviously, look, we're, we're getting you on because of your, your area of expertise back in the day was the scrum. Uh, I think my favourite line from, I can't remember if it was in your book or an interview or wherever I read it, but my favourite line of yours is when you went, you had a conversation with Joe Schmidt and he asked you, what, what are you, you going to do for him? And you said, oh, I can scrum. And he said, what else? And you kind of looked at him going. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that would have been my background because I was always... You know, scrummaging is always the biggest part, strongest part of my game, and um, and I spent three years in, you know, the crucible that was the Premiership, where if you walked from scrum to scrum, as long as you held it down in scrum, that was all right. You know, you could you could make a good living there. But uh, yeah, when I came across to Joe, he wanted a bit more than that for me. In terms of where the scrum is, look, it's it's an area that it really infuriates me. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it infuriates me kind of people saying, oh, we don't know what's going on in the scrum. We just kind of leave those lads at it. Um, so obviously we're looking to find out a little bit more because it's, it's, a, it's a topic of conversation in, in Irish rugby. If there was one area of concern in this fantastic run that they're on, it would be the scrum. We all remember New Zealand in the quarterfinal before we were recording you were saying you were at it and you were sick afterwards like it was a it was a big talking point the scrum penalties Ireland gave away so it's it's massive you're on Twitter you're constantly talking about the importance of scrums your love of scrums you've been moaning about how the fact that there's a new law that gets rid of five meter scrums and it's goal line dropouts for a hold up cause you're a scrum man in the last couple of years scrums have become for me rugby's version of a culture war you either love them or you hate them. And we had a lot of people giving out about South Africa during the World Cup, basically scrummaging their way to a, to, to a World Cup. I mean, I, I can guess where you stand, but it's worth worth starting off there. Where do you see the value of the scrum in today's game? Look, it, 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 the funny about it, like the value is keeping the fat lad on the pitch, right? <laughs> more more seriously, it's one of the reasons rugby's for all shapes and sizes, okay? You've got you know the, the skinny, fast guy in the wing, you know the, the bulky guy in the centre, you got the more husky gentleman in the front row. And if, if you de- depower the value of the scrum, then, you know, you're, you're going to have a knock-on effect upon the rest of the positions on the field. 
that's my view on it anyway, because you know, if Uni Antonio's not on the pitch, right, then uh, who's uh, who's the winger going to run around? You know, so you be careful what you wish for, because if you if you take off, you know, the slower guys who are good in the scrum, then that leads to a knock-on effect, and you might end up with something a bit closer to the rugby league, you know, where everyone's kind of the same size and shape. Yeah, I think it's it's important to highlight that it is that it, that is the differentiating factor. And look, I, I loved South Africa taking scrums in their twenty-two off marks uh, as a right. We're going to scrum and get a penalty and kick yeah. it up the field. I, I loved that. I thought it was a, you're right. It's part of the uniqueness of rugby. But in terms of the Irish scrum, um, the Ireland front row at the minute, starting from now, is the Leinster front row. So this is both a Leinster and an Ireland issue against France. I think they gave away three scrum penalties in the space of five second half minutes. That allowed France to ultimately score against Italy. I think I counted Italy gave away five scrum penalties. So you can say Ireland won five scrum penalties, having given away at least three the week prior. Um, just looking at some numbers, I think after the France game, I think it was something like Ireland had given away 16% of their scrums in penalties. And then that's halved, well, more than halved to now it's seven. So yeah. it's very volatile. I know it's two matches and it's not the biggest sample size, but can you understand why people are kind of questioning what's going on here when it's so volatile? Yeah, well, like a lot of those interpretations aren't because one team has got destroyed by the other. Might just gone straight to deck, you know. And sometimes that's where you know reputations or perceptions can come in. So if if if, if France are known for the strong scrum and say Ireland go to deck, well, Ireland must be cheating because France have a strong scrum, so they wouldn't want to take it down. So as opposed to what what has actually happened, it might have just been a slip. You know, I mean, there was a couple of times when we got penalised against France. I thought France were lucky to get those penalties. You know, similarly, back in uh, the quarter final against New Zealand, out of the three scrum penalties, I thought two were at least Stonewall Ireland penalties. So, yeah, a lot of it's an interpretation. And, um, you know, that that's that's something, I guess, would annoy fans because one referee might have a different interpretation to another referee and everyone's kind of got their own take on it. Before we get into the, the detail, maybe a little bit on the why penalties are given, why they're not given. You, you, you touched on something really important there, I think, is perception. Um, and, and I think Ireland do have a bit of, of a perception problem now. Is, and that's arguably more important than whether, whether they're scrummaging legally or not. If there is that perception, that's more important. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, your reputation can precede you, good or bad. You know, so for, for some reason, we've, we've um, been identified as a side that can give penalty with away in the scrum. And sometimes I would question if the referees are actually looking what they're seeing or they're going on preconceived notions you know because for instance I, I know that we do it too but the lead up to a game the coaches would of the opposition would be clipping together packages and send them to referees and the referees assessors going watch out they do this you know and so if, if that that's effective then it can be an issue and which is why um coaching teams do it when you were playing what do you think opposition coaches were clipping up about you what were they trying to say this is what mike ross does in the scrum watch out for him uh, it's more of where is he in the defensive line to find him. Uh, so, look, it, it probably you know um, if, if they're looking at me, he'll probably he'll he'll try to cheat a bit in the hit, get in before get in early. If if he's under pressure, he'll take it down, or if he finds an angle, he'll go for it. You know, so it's those kind of things. And you know, similarly, if 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 you're going up against you know say Antonio, like he'll use his weight on you. You know, um, try not to give him too much go forward on the hit because once he's settled there, you're not going to shift him. You know, he he will pancake and sprawl if he, things don't go his way. So that's the type of cues you'll get. You know, same similarly if you're loose heads like Ellis Genge or you know even our Andrew Porter. It, often the the main 
thing that Lucet's culpable of is swinging out and driving across. Or the infamous, you know, if your elbows elbows down. Yeah, it can be a, a lead to a collapse, but it isn't always the reason for it. It's that issue of picture. That's It's the famous phrase yeah. we always hear about scrums is, are you painting the right picture? And you've given a few examples there of things that maybe are not the right picture, such as the elbow dragging the, the opposition prop down, the hips yeah. going to the side and driving it. Talk to me about that hips one, because that's something you see any time Leinster are out of play and it's a scrum penalty against Andrew Porter. You see clips on Twitter being discussed of what happens there. So he's he hits, he hits, his hips drive out to the left and then he's driving in. That's that's the perception, I suppose. What What is that? What is the, first of all, is he doing that? Is that an issue for him? And second of all, what does that actually do? What, what's the effect of that on the set piece? It's complicated when it comes to loose head swinging ups, right? Sometimes he's, he'll follow the tight head. So the tight head has taken an angle in, angle's gone, gone in the hooker. And if he has to follow him where he gets left behind. So that's one reason. Two, he might be try, trying to shove the scrum across, okay, and disrupt the scrum. And that's often, you know, you see England doing that. Um, the, the French under-20s actually did it to Ireland quite well, where the, the whole thing pivots around loose head, okay, and it makes it look like the scrum's going somewhere, but what it's actually doing is just wheeling around the opposition tighted. Or the other one, is, you know, I mean, I think... You know, I know Ports, love him, think he's a great guy. Uh, I think sometimes he's just a bit too impatient, you know, that he could wait. He's so strong, so powerful. He could just wait that little bit longer and he'll get his reward. Sometimes it's very tempting for a loose head when he sniffs weakness to, to have go at us at a rate of knots. But sometimes the best thing to do is to just wait a little bit, be a bit more patient and your reward will come. Yeah, you, you used the word fulcrum earlier and you're talking about the importance of the tight head. Um, I think it's something that people forget is just how important rugby as the sport views tight heads. I mean, I think I'm right in saying now that Johnny Sexton's retired, I think Ty Furlong is probably the best played player in the country. Um, for, for example, like these guys are highly valued and you go over to France, you know, these guys get massive, massive contracts. So it's it's an area that, yeah, for all the detail, um, I mean, and you, you're saying it now and I know you're only touching the surface with the level of detail you're going into, but uh, yeah, it seems like, would you agree? It seems like the perception within rugby versus a fan perception of, of these props is is, is very different. Yeah, I mean, like, Tyke Furlong probably walks into most teams in the world. Same with Andrew Porter. He's, uh, I think, Ports is one of the most phenomenal work rates I've ever seen any player considering the size of him. Props, props are valued. And, like, the other thing to remember is Ireland don't always pick the best scrummaging side. You know, they might, yeah, I think we saw a pack pretty close to be what, if we we're picking a pack just for scrummaging, just for scrummaging, it was, it was close enough. Because you had James Ryan and Joe McCarthy in the second row, so two big guys who play tight headlock. Okay, you had you know uh, Doris at seven, Conan at eight, and Barrett at six. So that's, that's a lot of weight in behind the back five. You know, whereas if you, if you look back at the team against France, you know you you had um, McCarthy and Byrne, and you know Byrne is probably not the heaviest scrummaging second second row, but he's he'd be maybe better start putting them at six and put you know, James Ryan in there. How important is that weight behind you as a tight head prop? Very important. I've had a few really good tight head locks in my day. Uh, I was um, I had looking up at Paul O'Connell starts parts of my career, you know, Devin Toner. Look, I'll never forget my last professional game, I was playing with the Barbarians and we were playing against Ulster. And I had Paul Williams behind me, one arse cheek. I think he was probably about you know 145 kilos that day. I had Joe Takori. <laughs> On the right, right um, on my flank, who was probably another 130 kilos plus, said Richard Hibbard, 
under my left shoulder, you know, and Christmas Zoe at number eight. So it was just like, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to scrummage in France. <laughs> you know, because you just, it was just that weight come behind you. Essentially what you do at tight end, you just become a like a, a sled that they push against. And if you look at all the French teams, like Toulouse and Miafu, Willems is with uh, Montpellier, I think. Willems said wasn't hitting anyone in the head that day you played with him by any chance, was he? No, no, he's not. <laughs> Look, really nice guy. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Sorry, that was, that, that was a cheap shot. That was a cheap <laughs> yeah. shot. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, uh, La Rochelle would have um, Skelton. You know, if you look look around the, the French leagues and you see all you see these monster um, tight head locks, and they're almost as valued, uh, or almost the same value as. Uh, as the Titans. Yeah, that's why everyone's so so excited about that. Big, big young Joe, as, uh, as, yeah. as Andy Farrell would, would, would call him. I want to ask you about the two props, the two Irish props who you would have known, I'm, I'm assuming from your time in Leinster. You've spoken a lot about kind of tr- uh, working with Tig and how ultimately uh, he kind of, you pass the baton on to him. You, Andrew Port is a bit younger, but I think you said earlier you, you, you still worked with him a little bit towards the back end of your career. My last year is 20, 2016, 2017, and I remember um, having a chat with John Fogarty, who's not the, now the Irish scrum coach. And at the time, was we we uh, tied coming along. Uh, we had Michael Bent in between himself and myself, but there wasn't anyone really coming up. And at the time, we had a bit of a glut of loose heads. So Fogs goes to me, well, who do you think can make a good tight head? And I instantly said, Porter. Port make a good tight head because I was thinking, well, he's going to need a year to transition. And I'll get another year to mentor him in, and didn't work out that way. So he he ended up getting my contract. But um, I he, think he's one of the best props we've produced in a long, long time. He went over to tight head, excelled there, went back to loose head, still doing really well, you know. And I think you know we we talked about him getting penalized, but I think of a lot of it's is perception. Sometimes you get a reputation for doing that and it takes a while to wear off because he's been going really well the last couple of games. There's a little bit of that perception is leading to some, maybe unfair is the wrong word, it's a bit strong, but that, that might be the word for it in terms of the officiating of, of him individually. Yeah, I, I, I feel he gets, he gets picked out a bit more than it warrants it. You know, Is he perfect? No. Does he cheat? Of course he does. Everyone does. But... Uh, <laughs> It's not. It's not. It, I, I think he should get more reward than he's getting at the moment for what he's doing. What's that like for a, a prop? I mean, you didn't have too many days like this, but you know, there are for in every prop's lifetime, there's a day when you're singled out. Someone has your number. You're constantly being marched back ten, giving away penalties at a scrum. Like it must be a pretty lonely place as a prop when you know you're the first line of fire, so to speak, in that scrum, and and you're the one who's constantly being singled out. Yeah, it's not a nice feeling, you know, and, uh, you know, it happened to me on several occasions throughout my career, you know, just think of the first half of Northampton versus Leinster and the Heineken you know, Cup final in 2011, you know, and luckily I was able to pull out of the fire there, you know, but there's, I mean, every time I was up against Tendai Matawara, for example, I just had an awful time with him, right, the beast, because he was just so strong, so powerful, and then then, you know, Ty Furlong comes along and doesn't have an issue with him. So it's kind of sometimes <laughs> props don't suit certain props, you know. Remember another time, when I was coming up through Harlequins, there was a Saracens guy called Nick Lloyd. And he was small, wasn't the biggest kid. I always had terrible difficulty with him because he could get really low and then pop me up. Another other ones then I wouldn't have had an issue with uh, other people I struggled with. So it's kind of swings around about. The 2011 example is fascinating because I think everyone always talks about the 
the infamous Johnny Sexton halftime team talk and then he comes out and does what he does in that second half and you overturn the the 22-6 deficit to win. But I think arguably more importantly was that adjustment that doesn't get spoken about as much, which is whatever changed at halftime in the scrums and you went from being beaten up at the scrums to to completely reversing that. What what was that technical change? Do you remember it? And who 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 drove that conversation at halftime? It would, it would have been Greg Feet at halftime, you know, because we came in where like you know a bit of sixes and sevens, probably because we, were, we we knew they were having a, a good scrum because you you watched Northampton in the run up to that uh, final and they were destroying teams, right? So we were all we got a bit too disconnected. We we're doing our own thing, you know. So I was trying to chase ahead and get, get win the hit and get across Tongawea. And that was even makes my inside shoulder exposed to Dylan Hartley was popping me. And then I was losing my joint Rickard Strauss and the whole thing was getting destroyed. So Fiki just said, look, just be a bit more patient. Stay with Strauss. You stay together and you'll get rewards. And um, it's probably the worst 40 minutes of my life <laughs> up until that point, you know. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was great that we were able to turn that around. Coming up, I'll continue my conversation with Mike Ross. You touched on something earlier when you said, as a country, we don't necessarily always pick the best scrummaging pack. So we don't necessarily pick the the, the most weight. Um, I think that kind of ties into a wider point of, you know, when you came back to Leinster and Joe Schmidt came in, he's asking you to do more than scrummage. You know, one of the first coaches to do that to you. Uh, and I think since then, look, we get Ty Furlong is one of the best ball playing props in the world. Andrew Porter is brilliant in the loose, brilliant breakdown operator, brilliant carrier. We pick, we, it's almost like in Ireland, we pick guys who do lots of other things and they can just, you know, they get by in the scrum. Now that might be a bit harsh on other people, but we don't do what say South Africa do and, and pick specialist scrummagers. And um, is that because we're not developing specialist scrummagers or do you think it's a wider issue in terms of prop development in this country? I mean, you said earlier you, you had most of your development over in the premiership where players were allowed to walk from scrum to scrum, so to speak. So is 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 this a, is it just the fact we don't produce good enough scrummagers or do we not produce scrummagers because of what we value, do you think? With regards to picking the best scrummaging pack, you know, I mean, Ireland have a very specific game plan. It's been working quite well. I'm not going to question it, you know. <laughs> so, you know, if um, they want to continue picking picking for those uh, points that they want, off they go. But I'm just saying that, you know, if you were going to pick strictly for the scrum, you'd probably pick different players, you know. Like, I, I think our props are, there's nothing wrong with their scrummaging. You know, they, they've, they've done quite well before. They'll do quite well again. But why are we not producing more of them? I think that kind of goes like my so, so my son started in secondary school uh, this year, right? And he's, he's I'm getting to see the Leinster school system up close and personal, and you know he's been producing a huge number of players. But I, I am seeing because of the underage laws around scrummaging, they're not picking the heavy guys who can scrummage. Which law is that? It's the limit. Okay, okay, so so under up to under eighteen level. So before you get to under twenty. Uh, you can only push a meter and a half. In the scrum. In the scrum, okay. So what ends up happening is that coaches naturally will want to get their best players on the pitch. So they might not include, like scrummaging doesn't become a, a valued trait. Because if you're only going to be pushed a meter and a half, and I've never really seen them lose the ball from it, then might as well put a slow flanker in there. If he gets pushed back a meter and a half, it doesn't really matter. We still keep the ball and he'll be good around the park. 
And you, you see you see often when it comes to under twenties levels, you know, guys getting shoved into you're you're a good flanker, you're not quite quick enough, so we're gonna make a hooker out of you. Or we're going to you're a big guy, we're gonna try you a prop. So would you like to see that law change then in our in, in schools rugby to promote better schools? I would. I mean there, there there's a couple of options you could do for it, you know, to make it a bit more valuable. Uh one option I think is maybe you can push five meters when you're within five meters of the try line. That could encourage it. The other one is maybe not allow hooking. Just put the ball, someone, someone suggested to me, put the ball in the middle, under the hooker's noses, and then you have to push over it. Could get rid of the famous break foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's interesting because I think there is a perception around, less so now, I think I think Finley Beelham has done a lot to ease people's concerns about the post-Furlong era because look, we don't know how much long he's got left. But certainly on the loose head side, I mean, you know, Keen Healy is hasn't got a lot of time left. He's an ex- excellent scrummager as he as he showed when he went in and scrummaged at, at Hooker in, in Edinburgh last yeah. year when, when all the hookers went down. But there I think there is a bit of a concern that Ireland are a bit light in that in that prop department. And it, it sounds like it, it your your theory would be it, it goes back to like the, the, the development issue of it's not as big a focus as it as it needs to be. For, for, I'll give you an example. In England, I know they have a specialist camp where they recruit guys from I don't know, from sixteen to twenty and they take them all to these big scrummaging camps and for weeks on end they just teach these young guys how to scrum they don't worry about anything else and then they can develop anything everything else after that i don't think we'd have anything like that or we don't have the same mindset i know when i was saying that greg feek was kind of like uh had would have regular symposiums all the provincial coaches around you know scrummaging and they'd exchange tips you know because monster is like scrummage slightly different to leinster and vice versa uh, so they, it was really a good good system where they just you know shared their learnings and shared tips or shared things they found. Um, I know Leinster ran a program a few years ago called Route Six Foot Six, where they tried to find second rows. So yeah, I, I don't know if something like that's going on at the moment. I haven't heard if if it is, but yeah, certainly would be welcome because I was you know I was watching the England Wales under twenties and my God, you know what what, what the English did, scrum did to the Welsh was obscene. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was probably probably worth doing, but it is it is important that you know I think now that we've kind of switched to schools as our main production pathway that we don't lose the late developers. You know, obviously I'm a bit biased because I was one, but there's there's guys whose whose value only becomes apparent once you move to full noise scrummaging. How important you were you were 26 when you 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 weren't I, I think I'm right in saying you earned one monster cap and then left for Harlequins 26 is that right when that happened 26 yeah I actually didn't get I was on the bench once for monster but I didn't make it on so oh really okay yeah your, your, yeah. your Wikipedia page is wrong then uh. <laughs> yeah I know I know it, it, was, it was on the team sheet that was actually um yeah when um, Barry Murphy was playing that thing broke his ankle quite badly oh so, wow yeah it was a frozen foot cold enough pitch up is up on Ulster. So but then you went over to to London and went over to Quinns, uh, and it sounds like you, you, that was your that was the making of you in terms of the development of of, of being a scrummager. Um, do you think you would have had that same development if you, if you had stayed in Ireland for those years? I don't know because you know when I, when I came back, you know a lot, a lot of the time you know, we tend to use it to restart the game. You know, whereas uh, there's a lot of machismo over in the English Premiership. You know, so it was a way of stamping your physical authority on the opposite pack. So that you know, dominate or be dominated. But uh, like when I when I was playing over there, I regularly got probably the most one of the most minutes in the Premiership. It used to be on two and a half thousand minutes a season, which I think could be, I think in Ireland they get about seventeen, eighteen hundred max. Wow, okay, um, that's a lot of eighty, a lot of eighty minute shifts. Yeah, I remember playing was about fourteen or fifteen, eighty minutes on the bounce. 
You must you must have loved oh. coming back to Leinster and all of a sudden they had a replacement for you on the hour. Yeah, mark. well it was good. <laughs> I enjoyed it and it's exactly what I needed at that stage of my career, you know. I need I needed seasoning and um I was able to take take the physical load because it probably wasn't as quick as as the game is now. You touched on something earlier, and I think that could take that ties us nicely before we go back to my first question, which is all about scrum culture wars. You said we see the scrum as a way of restarting the game versus alpha male, we're going to dominate you, the South African way of doing things, the English Premiership way of doing things in your age back in the day. Would you like to see Ireland shift to a, a little bit more of a culture shift into slightly more, rather than just it's a fast way of restarting the game, it's, it's an, actually an area of, of potential dominance? Yeah, and look, to, to be fair, we, we, we've seen some big scrums from Ireland in the past. You know, I just think of um, for a long going through uh, Ellis Genge a couple, couple of seasons ago, big reaction from that. But I, th- I think, you know, we I would like to see us use it more as a weapon, uh, really, really focus on keeping it in and grinding teams down. And we saw a bit of that, you know, that we, we, we were going for penalties and we were going to mess the Italians up. And, it you know, I know a lot of people hate it. You know, they, they don't think there should be penalties for that, that type of infringement. But, you know, if, if you're not if you're not a good tackler, you can see line breaks in midfield. So if you don't have a good scrum, there should be a consequence to that. You mentioned schools earlier. You're getting up close and personal with the school system. Uh, did I see you were close to a Wesley College huddle recently? Are you involved with them? Yeah, I do a bit of work with their scrum. It's, it's, it's very, it's quite rewarding. I do do like doing that. You know, do a bit of work with their SCTs and JCTs. So it's um, it's good to see what's coming through. I, I throw I throw out the meter and a half rule during my sessions just so they get used to. <laughs> right. In which case, if we see any uh, Wesley tight heads uh, in the Leinster Academy in the next couple of years, we'll know who to thank. <laughs> Thanks, Emil, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. That's all for today. My thanks to Mike for joining us, as well as our sponsors, Nifty Business. My name is Nathan Johns. The Counter Up will be back next Monday.